Welcome back to another episode of the Nomad Barista podcast. I'm your host, Brody Vissers, and I seek out coffee professionals, coffeepreneurs around the world who have really paved their own path, nailed their niche, and designed their own lifestyle around what they love. Today, I'm here with Alex Katine, the owner of The Coffee Vine, one of the most diverse and consistent coffee subscriptions I've ever seen, which sends a bundle of European and other global roasters to over 60 countries every single month. We've known each other for years now, so it was about time that he finally came on the podcast during his quick trip to Barcelona. Really quick, big shout to this episode's sponsor, Wokako, Portable Coffee Makers. Their brewers have been super useful to me on all of my travels, from the cup of mocha for a quick pour over to the pico presso for barista style double shots. Hand grinders, mini digital scales, everything you need for a coffee on the go. Check out more of Wokako in the description. All right, let's get right into it. Alex Katine from The Coffee Great Vine. to have you here. This coffee, as I explained, you know, before we hopped on, this is a really unique coffee and I hope hope you liked it. It's um, from Tributo Coffee House mm-hmm. from Venezuela. It's super cool. I've never had Venezuelan coffee before until this moment. So I'm very excited to broaden my taste palette. <laughs> Which is huge for someone whose job is to taste a bunch of coffees from around the world. I know, I know. But you'd still be surprised. There are still a lot of origins I've never tasted. Yeah, I can imagine. So so Venezuela, uh, the reason why I have this, just to you know, give everyone listening as well as yourself a little bit more background. I met someone in Madrid a few years ago who was visiting from Venezuela. But we had actually been in contact over Instagram before I even moved to Spain. And so mm-hmm. when I was in Madrid, he's like, oh, you got to come by. I'm, I'm visiting for a few months. I brought some coffees from Venezuela. For me, it was my also my first time trying coffee from that origin. Uh, unfortunately, it's very tricky to get coffee, even green coffee, exported out of the country in any, you know, in any big fashion um, and mm-hmm. any sort of structured way. So this this was obviously something very new and unique. And the fact that he had some really kind of funky, interesting uh, processing, which, you know, this is something that I talk about from time to time. It's I feel like it's getting a little bit too funky these days. But at the time, it was something so new and fresh and interesting for me. Yeah. So he showed me one that was like a coffee fermented with wine yeasts mm-hmm. uh, and then another coffee fermented with beer yeasts. Mm-hmm. Um so I bought both of them and brought them back. <laughs> one had a hoppy taste and the other one was a little bit more, uh, I don't know, full-bodied. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> well, maybe fortunately they, they didn't have so much of the wine or beer taste, but definitely. Well, I think that's probably a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this time, yeah, every every once in a while, whenever he has someone coming to Spain, I say, hey, can you can you send some, some of your coffee Fantastic. Uh, over here? I love that. So... Welcome. Um, Thank you. Great to have you here. What what brings you to Barcelona this time? Uh, well, initially, I was going to go skiing with my best friend who lives here, but uh, the snow in Andorra is terrible at the moment, so we decided to cancel the skiing part. And I'm just now here for a couple of days. And uh, as it so happens tonight, I'm hosting a cupping at Slomov. It's something that I love doing when I'm in a different city to try and host a cupping for the local coffee van community, but also just anyone else who wants to come down. Um, because as an online business, I don't really have a, you know, I don't have a shop, so I don't have a, a place that people can meet me on a regular basis. And I love being able to, you know, connect with people in different communities and different cities and different countries. 
but for the rest, I'm just here to enjoy the city, to be honest. We had a terrible storm in Amsterdam yesterday and uh, like our privacy curtains on the balcony railings were rattling all night. <laughs> So uh, I said to my partner, Michael, I'm like, I'm ready for a bit of sunshine and uh, some good weather. So I'm just here to enjoy the lifestyle. <laughs> You're not alone. That's what brings a lot of people here. I know. It's I know the flight was full, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yes. From Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. everyone was fleeing. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so why don't we jump right into it? Because I really love to give people more of a context around, you know, the people that I have on this podcast and give them a, a good sense of where they came from, mm -hmm. specifically when it comes to specialty coffee. In your case, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit of your entry into specialty coffee. Of course, your journey over the years, I think it's been pretty much like a decade that you've been yeah. with Coffee Vines specifically, decade, yeah. the it brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can touch on a little bit of how we got connected, which is yes. a cool story too. Yes. And then, um, and then we'll, we'll carry it from there. You've got some other projects going on, but let's, let's start with your, your entry into specialty coffee. I mean, I, I always, you know, since I can remember, I drank coffee, you know, my father, uh, is a big golf fanatic and he used to take us to, um, this place in America called Pinehurst, where he had a shared condo with my uh, godfather, who I actually never really saw again. But um, we used to go to Starbucks a lot, you know, and he used to always, my father used to buy these like big uh, cafe lattes and add a lot of cinnamon powder and stuff like this. And that's kind of how I got into coffee, generally speaking. Um, and then as a student, you know, I was living in the UK, I was drinking a lot of instant and like, you know, things like that. But I used to hang out in coffee shops, you know, because I really loved the vibe. Um, and so I've always been in touch with coffee. You know, I was never really uh, super interested in the subject itself. Um, it, it was actually, I have to say, um, when I was traveling uh, through Canada um, while I was a student, um, I uh, was in Toronto and I got lost in sort of an industrial neighborhood and I ended up in a cafe where a barista was very enthusiastic about all the different beans he had. And I was really like, you know, this was before Google Maps. I didn't know where I was. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to have a coffee here and just like try and you know, figure out where I need to go. And this barista was su super enthusiastic about coffee. And I, it started to like, you know, peak an interest. I was like, huh, you know, there's more to this than I thought. But it took a while longer, you know, after I graduated from university, I went traveling and then, you know, I, I, I eventually moved to Amsterdam to start my first job. And it was, uh, I think like four or five years after I moved to Amsterdam that I started to develop an interest in specialty coffee. And actually I started my blog uh, the coffee vine initially as my personal guide to my favorite coffee bars because I was still working um, for an e-commerce company, but I was developing this interest in specialty coffee and especially the cafes, you know, because I loved going to places and writing about them. I always loved writing. You know, I used to write as a, as a student for my student newspaper. I had a little travel blog before the coffee vine called Peel Off the Layer. So that was kind of how I got started. And then, yeah, just that was the beginning of this journey. Which year was that that you started your Coffee Vine blog? 2013. So I had the 10 year anniversary of that last year, but because most people know the business part, the subscription box, um, of which I sent my first box in 2014, this year is my 10 year anniversary for wow. Coffee Vine subscription. So it only took you one year to go from starting the blog, the brand, yeah. to actually packaging a product yeah. and sending it out. Yeah. It was very fast um, because I was at the time one of the first people blogging about coffee in English mm -hmm. uh, and one of the first coffee bloggers. There were quite a few people blogging about restaurants and stuff, but it was not super widespread. 
And you know, mm. there were not a lot of people talking about specialty coffee. And what I did was basically, I wanted to just connect um, coffee lovers, like a lot of the expat friends that I have uh, back in Amsterdam, you know, yeah. or had at the time um, with coffee places that serve great coffee. So I started connecting with the owners and the roasters and I initially, you know, did coffee run along sort of along my regular day job. And I actually <laughs> hosted a couple of um, uh, walking and cycling tours around cafes that were, you know, at the time kind of doing something new. And they were super popular and people really loved that, you know, and I was like, huh, you know, and then I got fired from my job, which actually was um, a godsend because I hated that job. Uh, I had to travel one and a half hours each way every day to this drab office somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And I hated what I was doing. So when they said, we're not renewing your contract, I was like, thank you, <laughs> you know, because I could take some time off and focus on my next step. And I thought, you know, the coffee van has so much traction. Like there is a lot of people reading the blog. There's a lot of people following me on social media. I can do something with this, you know, and that's how it started. Cycling is a big thing in Amsterdam. <laughs> also here. Also here. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how we both kind of did similar things in terms of like the cycle cafe tour. Yes. I think that they're just something that always goes together. Yes. In a way of exploring new cities, of course, by two wheels. When I came to visit you a few years ago, we, yeah. we biked around the city. We did. Yeah. There's a great way to, to see any new city, at least Nothing. in Europe. You know, if you're in a kind of a very spread out suburb in, in North America, which is my upbringing. Um, you know, it's a little bit harder to get everywhere, but definitely, but you see the thing for me about the coffee van, and I still do this today is like, when I travel, the first place I go to is a local specialty coffee place. You know, I don't care where I am. Mm. Uh, I always try to find a local specialty coffee bar because it gives me a sense of the place. You know, I go there, I can connect with the baristas or the owner. Maybe I know them already, you know, cause I, I have a, a huge network and I, a lot of people know what I do. So even when I was, for example, you know, a couple of years ago, I was in, in, in Iran, you know, in Tehran, my friend and I were traveling and there was this one specialty coffee bar in Tehran that was doing really amazing stuff. And they were like, please come to visit us. Please come to visit us. So I was like, okay, I even got invited to attend the first Iranian barista championships, you know, oh, cool. people were going crazy. It was amazing. But for me, it's really important to go to these places because, you know, it's for me like a, it's almost like I've arrived, you know, and I love getting a feeling of the local coffee scene, you know, the culture, you know, what are kind of the drinks that they serve, you know, what kind of coffees are they drinking? And most of the time people there are super nice and they always give me tips, you know, and that's like how I start. And I always, I do still write my own reviews of cafes. You know, I still go out there and write reviews whenever I can, not as much anymore because it's not something, I don't make any money from it, you know? So just in case anybody's asking, um, I never made money from this. It's just something I do out of passion for the industry, passion for the people, you know? Um, and I love being able to point people to the best places in town to get good coffee. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's cool that you also took that approach in terms of going to cafes and whether it's writing a review or, you know, a lot of your articles was even just describing, describing the place and kind of mm -hmm. making out the things that you thought were unique. Yes. Um, and that was really the, the same type of approach that I took when I started my blog a few years later in, in 2016, The Nomad Barista, mm. which is what took me, you know, to a few different countries around the world, starting in Japan and yeah. Asia. Yeah. A few years later into Iceland. 
<laughs> which was when I wrote this uh, three-part series about exploring Iceland uh, with you know this truck with a tent on top. Yeah. But also brewing coffee in the in the wilderness. Uh, yes. And just like in the the most wild conditions, as well as visiting some beautiful cafes in um, Reykjavik. In Reykjavik, yeah. uh, there's some notable notable cafes there too. But also in Akureyri. I didn't make it that far. Yeah, which is a little bit further up on the north side. And I say all that because that was when I very, that was the very first time that I heard of the coffee vine. <laughs> I stopped by this cafe. Um, Regular Roasters, probably. No, it wasn't. It oh. was, uh, I forget the name of it now. It will come back to me. Maybe I'll mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they had a bit of a chain around Iceland, if, uh, if you remember that. Yes, one. yes, yes, yes. I'll think the name in a second. I think it yeah. was called Teo Cafe. Teo Coffee. Yeah, I know which one you mean. Yeah. yeah. So that was cool. Um, I had a few connections. And I, I was pointed towards someone named Sonia Björk. Okay. Um, and she, uh, she is a, a barista judge and she, um, she was based there at the time she was in between Reykjavik and Akureyri. Okay. And while I was visiting this cafe, waiting for her to, to come in and do a quick interview for my blog, uh-huh. I met the barista who was, uh. <laughs> I was a big fan of coffee and he said you got to check out the coffee vine so funny and i was like oh coffee vine that's interesting oh my gosh and so from that moment i started reading reading the the blog and the articles and um i kind of kept it in the back of my mind a few months later i found myself in mexico and i was <laughs> looking yes. you know, which kind of coffee farms i should visit for my very first coffee yes coffee farm experience and i came across your article called finca las nieves finca las nieves but the article was uh, losing, I think losing my coffee cherry. Yeah, pops yes, my coffee on, yes. cherry <laughs> on Finca Las Nieves. Yeah, and I still get a lot of people asking me if I can put them in touch with Gustavo. It's really funny. Me that too. article is still, it's yeah. still out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yes. had that too, and I, I had to unfortunately tell them that I don't think they do tours no, anymore. I don't think so. I don't think so. But Mexico, good place to. Yes, I was born there. People, people don't know that often because uh, I don't particularly look Mexican. I don't sound Mexican. I, I don't live there, you know. But my Mexican heritage is uh, is also a, a big mix. You know, my my mother uh, is half Russian uh, or half Ukrainian, I should actually say, um, and half uh, sort of Palestinian. So the, the heritage is from all over the place. Wow. But um, yeah, she. I was born in Mexico. I go back almost every year, and uh, you know. Finca Las Nieves is very close to a town where my family has a house in Puerto Escondido, which I go to regularly. But, you know, I was just recently there in Mexico and I I love Mexico so, so much. You know, I love being there. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. The coffee coffee scene is super exciting because it's a country where, you know, you can have as a roaster and barista, you can have direct relationships with your farmers who are maybe two hours away. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. something that you don't have in a lot of countries. Yeah. And that creates this really beautiful ecosystem of of knowledge and relationships. You know, you can go to visit your farmer for the weekend and hang out with them, you know, or they come to you or, yeah, and you, and you can taste coffees from all around the country instead of tasting coffees from other countries, which I find exciting as well. And actually... With the coffee vine, you know, one thing that I did last year was to launch a global selection of roasters on top of the European selection that I do every month. Right. Um, where I invite two roasters from around the world to send coffee. And actually, we've had two Mexican roasters already. Uh, one is Quentin, which you probably know. And the other one is Jiribilla, which is another roaster from Mexico City who was featured in February. Uh, and I just love being able to showcase the coffees, you know, from my country, roasted in my country. 
you know, to the world. No, of course. Yeah, that's a great connection. And and what I've realized about coffee producing countries in general now, every, every year, I feel like, because I've gotten to go back to various producing countries mm-hmm. you know, every year and year, year on year. And I've noticed they're developing so quickly in terms of the specialty coffee service as well, mm-hmm. in terms of actually having roasteries, as you mentioned, but beautiful cafes. And so that having that connection of your uh, specialty coffee roaster and you can actually just take a quick drive yeah. to the producers that you work with yeah. is a completely different, it's almost like a paradigm shift for those roasters who are used to working in more of a European yes. or you know yes. uh, East Asian or uh, North American, of course, me growing up in Canada, it's quite the trek to get to one of these yeah. coffee producing countries. A lot of people don't have the, you know, don't have the, don't have the the money or the time or you know the the opportunity to go and i think you know being able to to see the coffee being produced you know firsthand even if you're just you know as a barista working behind the counter you know it's super important for you to understand what it is that you're working with not just as a roaster you know and i know from these producers um in mexico that a lot of them you know they have regular contact with their with their buyers with their green buyers from the roasteries you know, and that's amazing, you know, and this is not something that is super common in a lot of countries. I was actually reading uh, in on the plane here an article about Ethiopia and, you know, a lot of countries have uh, rules that, you know, stipulate that the highest grade coffee has to be exported. So a lot of locals don't get to try their best coffees because they have to be exported, you know. In Mexico, I don't think that's applicable. A lot of the best coffees, I've had geishas, you know, in Mexico roasted yeah. locally. So, uh yeah, it's interesting how in different coffee producing countries, the rules almost shift completely. Yeah. So in Mexico, uh, I know also countries like Indonesia and even Thailand, mm-hmm. they have uh, China too, actually. They have huge uh, export taxes and then they also have import taxes. If you want to bring coffees yes. from different places, yes. you've got to pay almost you know double to get those coffees yes. in. Um, so what's interesting between China and Ethiopia, because I had the, the pleasure of visiting Ethiopia recently and, and learned about that fact as well, that you can, it's essentially illegal to get specialty coffee inside the country yeah, um, or to have it served to you. Of course, you can bring your own, but um, yeah, it's all, it's all exported. Now, China, they have huge uh, import taxes on many coffee origins, except Ethiopia, because they have, they have a partnership. Okay. Um, and so you're able to get really, really good Ethiopian coffees in, in China, even though they're also a co- uh, coffee producing country. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Mexico, as you mentioned, you know, luckily they have, they have that, that situation where there's a lot of internal specialty coffee consumption. Yeah. And I think it's growing year on, a on lot. year. Yeah, definitely. So um, I wanted to ask you, coming back to the business, you know, do you, do you remember a specific moment? I know we talked about it being essentially one year from you starting the blog and then actually mm-hmm. starting to pack the subscription boxes. Do you remember a moment where you felt like this was, it went from being sort of a side hustle subscription company to being really a main gig, something that was sustainable for you? I mean, it basically happened uh, when I got fired. You know, and I had this opportunity to to start this business. You know, and my family was very supportive. But you know, my family, both on my mom and my my father's side, you know, there is a lot of like sort of artists and entrepreneurs. You know, my my grandparents on my father's side, that they, they used to own the local village supermarket. You know, so there was always this kind of spirit of like you can do it. You know, and my parents were very supportive. Uh, I also didn't honestly, I didn't really see an alternative for myself. You know. I was super frustrated with corporate life. I hated it. I didn't feel like I fit in. 
and I didn't really find a company where I could really flourish, you know, and I always wanted to do something on my own. Um, in the beginning, Coffee Vine was, you know, the first years were tough. I'm not going to lie. You know, the first years were very tough because I made a lot of mistakes, like a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I also had some big successes and I'm very proud of that. But um, I think what I was missing in the beginning was more business acumen and more um, dedication. You know, I was super dedicated to what I did, but I was also very distracted by socializing and, you know, other things that were going on in my life. I was still young, you know, I wasn't really, um, I was like in my early thirties, you know, and I was still, I still wanted to have fun, you know? Um, I was also in a time in my life I, I, that was, I was, I was in a, you know, sort of phase of my life where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. I, I was also thinking about leaving Amsterdam, you know, so there was a lot of like insecurities, um, around that. But, um, the, the fact of the matter was I had to make it work. I didn't have an alternative, you know, so I, I had to make this work and I put everything into it. Yeah. You have to, at a certain point, I think your priorities shift. Yeah. You know, I'm always a big believer in you take advantage of, of the moment that you are in, in life, you know, cause you might not have that moment again yes. when you're young, you know, take, if you really feel like you, you want to experience and explore. And in my case, it was a lot of traveling, but you know, of course, going out, meeting people, having yeah. experiences and yeah. then at a certain point, you know, you can always, you can always shift. Yes. Um, and start to take things more seriously, uh, so to speak. But I'm, I'm curious if you can share a time when, um, you know, you had any specific failures in the coffee industry, uh, and that set the stage for a much more significant success later on, you know, maybe yeah. it was around that time that you, you made this jump into, yeah. um, being maybe more focused or. Definitely. I mean, the first iteration of the coffee vine box was, you know, I would say if I look at how people package their products today, it was like that, you know, it was, it, it came in custom bags with custom stickers. We had this, you know, this almost like, um, um, paper mache, you know, kind of like cover we had everything. It was like a present, you know, every box was like a present, but it was incredibly difficult to put together and so costly and so much waste, you know? And as, at some point I realized I couldn't grow this any further, you know, because there were roasters who didn't want to work with me because I repacked their coffees. The whole process of packing was terribly cumbersome. You know, it, it took so much time. And at some point my, my, my partner and friend at the time, Erica, she said, you know, like either we stop here and we go back to the drawing board or this is not going anywhere, you know? So that's what we did. We stopped the subscription. You know, I, I sent a message to everyone saying, I'm really sorry, but this is not working the way I intended. So we're going to stop. We're going to cancel everyone's subscriptions and we're going to go back to the drawing board. And in a few months, we're going to come back with a new product, you know, and that's what we did. We went back to the drawing board. We redesigned the box. The first couple of iterations were not really the ideal solution, but we were getting there. You know, for instance, we were no longer repacking anything. You know, we were just focusing more on, on presenting the coffee as the roaster intended, you know, and all that sort of stuff. We got rid of a lot of the extra packaging that was unnecessary. And from there, we were able to continuously improve the product, you know. And um, although today, you know, we're in February, it's February 2023. I would say today I would not necessarily, you know, design the box the way it is right now. Um and that's something I want to do this year is like actually redesign the box, you know, to, to, you know, to create our own custom printed boxes and that sort of stuff. But I had to get the business to a certain point 
that I could feel comfortable doing that, you know? And this has been a journey. As I, as I said, you know, I've been in this industry for 10 years. I've worked with more than 350, 400 roasters. You know, I've lost count. <laughs> um, and I know the coffee vine is, is hugely respected, you know, by people in the industry, but also by customers because they know that this is a product that is put together by a person. You know, it's not some no-name, fancy-looking brand with a cool logo and a cool website and you have no idea who's behind it. You know, and, and that's been a big journey for me too. It's like, you know, I've been at the center of this business from the day, from day one. And, and I know that people buy from people, you know, that's just a fact, you know, of course, if you're like Louis Vuitton or whatever, or Dior, you know, you're going to buy the brand, but in a small scale business like this, you want to buy from a person, you want to know who selected the coffees, who put it together, all that sort of stuff, you know, and that's, that's been the most important change, you know, but yeah, there were many failures along the way, you know, not just Coffee Van. I also had some other uh, failures. I, 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 you know, I, for a short time, I hosted, I had a pop-up cafe in Amsterdam, which was, funnily enough, got quite a bit of press because it was the first filter-only cafe. But again, you know, bad location, bad colleagues, you know, an, another layer of complexity on top of a box that was I was struggling to put, you know, bring back to life. I was just like jumping into things without thinking about it, you know, and I'm still very much like that. I'm very impulsive, but that was something that I do regret <laughs> so because it cost me a lot of money, a lot of my time, and it didn't go anywhere, you know? So specifically regret jumping into things with this a particular cafe venture. The cafe. Yeah. Ah, okay. I always wanted to have a cafe, you know, I always wanted to have a really beautiful cafe, but I was just not ready for it, you know, and I didn't have... I didn't have the passion for it, you know, because on top of the fact that I had to be there every day to brew the coffee, I also had to run a business, you know, in the background and the location was just not ideal. So there were days when we had, you know, just a handful of customers, if that. And I think after a while, this whole idea of it's filter only kind of wore off, you know, and people were just not ready for that, you know. Do you feel like... You said you regret it, but do you regret the experience no. or? No, I don't regret the experience. I learned a lot. I regret the fact that I was, you know, I, there were people telling me, don't do it, you know? And sometimes you can prove them wrong, you know? But you had to do it for yourself. I had to do it for myself, but I think if I had not done it, you know, I, I would have, I would have not lost a lot of money and mm -hmm. I would have not lost a lot of my time, you know, mm -hmm. which I could have spent on building the business. But at the end of the day, it worked out, you know, because the business is great. I love my business, you know, but maybe I could have gotten there faster. I don't know. It just sometimes feels like, you know, there were some things along the way. And I know a lot of other people share the same, you know, experience with ventures that didn't go well. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, if I could turn back time, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done that, you know, but it is what it is. I, you know, I don't want to live in regret, you know, yeah. um, but yeah, that was one, another failure that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> so the thing that I wanted to ask about when, when it comes to the failure or the regret, what would you tell someone who might be in a similar position where they're thinking about doing something that they've always wanted to do, thinking about doing something new for their business, and you know that there's always this balance between you got to try it for yourself to know, or you could save yourself a lot of grief why yeah. not doing it? Like, how do you, for, for a coffeepreneur who's, who's thinking about doing something like that, what kind of advice might you give them? I mean, look, I think the issue um, that I had was that I, I was passionate about the idea of having a cafe. It was like my dream, but I was not passionate about the actual project, 
You know, I didn't love the location. I didn't love the people. I didn't love a lot of things about it. I just got convinced into doing it because, you know, I was like, this is a great opportunity. I can have my own cafe. Yeah, great. Amazing. Wow. Awesome. You know, but you know, if I had done it somewhere else, you know, in my own space, maybe it would have been a very different story. And I think the issue that a lot of people have is that often we are so, um, you know, we're so desperate to find a calling or we're so desperate to find a purpose or something new that we almost jump at every opportunity that comes our way. And I think sometimes it's better to just, you know, take a moment and figure out, is this something that I really love? Do I really love this idea? Do I really love this project? Do I really love the people, you know? Sometimes it's better to not do it, you know, because something else will come along, you know? And I think if you're thinking about changing direction or if you're change, like trying to get involved in a new project, you know, just take a moment for yourself and figure out, do you really feel passionate about it? Because if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to give it your all. And if you don't give it your all, you're not going to succeed. And that's what happened to me, you know? With the coffee vine, for instance, I'm super passionate about it. I love what I do. I love the people. I love the fact that I can work with all these amazing roasters. I supply people all around the world. You know, I can go to different places around the world and meet people, you know, and it's, it's, it's fabulous. You know, I love that. And that's why, you know, the coffee vine is such a success. The cafe didn't work, you know, and I was not passionate about it. And I think it's the same for a lot of other people. You know, I sometimes hear from people like, oh, they tried this and they tried the other and then they tried this. It's like, it's fine if you want to try out stuff to see what sticks, but you should always figure out if you are passionate about it, you know? That's a good point because in, especially in entrepreneurship, a lot of the time you, you might be chasing a certain business opportunity for different variables. One of them might be, you know, you, you feel like this is a good way to make money mm -hmm. or this is, or, or the opposite, maybe not the opposite, the, on a, on a parallel vein, this is something that you love to do. Uh, or you might be thinking, hey, this is what this is what people really need. I don't know if it's going to make money. I don't know if I'll love it. Mm -hmm. It seems to be from a lot of entrepreneurs that that have come along and and made successful businesses, the ones that you are more passionate about end up being more sustainable yes. and therefore successful. Yes, of course. As opposed to you know this could be a great way to make money, but if you're not if it's not going to be sustainable for you and you're just going to get burnt out and you're going to hate it, mm -hmm. then it will never be successful. And I'll, I'll always remember um, this one thing that one of my my business mentors told me about entrepreneurship is it's it's not about how much you say yes to, but it's actually about how much you say no to. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think in the early years, and, and I can you know at least speak from my own personal experience, it is important to say yes to everything. I said yes to everything. In the <laughs> It's totally, totally important, especially when you're, especially when you're young or you're first starting in a new industry. Yes. For me as a photographer, it was really important for me to just photograph everything. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I started to realize what I liked to photograph and what I wanted to photograph and then became better at those types of things. Yes. But I wanted to ask you over the last, let's say just going back around five years, what would be the thing that you've learned to say no to the most? in order to, you know, make your business more successful? I mean, I think one of the things is, you know, that we in general, um, as entrepreneurs, you know, especially if you were in a volatile industry, you know, I mean, we all went through COVID, you know, and I, I remember when COVID hit, there were a lot of cafes, a lot of roasters who were shocked because suddenly they had no more business, you know, and it was a mess. 
I remember so many roasters knocking on my door asking if I could please buy some of their coffee for my box because they had so much coffee, you know, and they didn't know what to do with it. And of course, this was, you know, a, a life-changing event for so many people. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's also important to focus on the things that are really important to you, you know, and to, to focus on the things that are, you know, giving you joy. Like I used to, for example, get a lot of requests from people back in the day who asked me to come and make coffee at their events. You know, and they would not pay me, but they were like, it's for exposure. You get great exposure. You know, I did, you know, not to name a certain place uh, that we're both a member of, but I used to do workshops there, you know, and you'd go there with all your equipment and, you know, you'd be super excited because it was fully booked and then you show up and there's like two people because, oh, it was raining. So nobody came. Yeah. Like, no, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I don't, I'm sorry. You know, you need to find yourself someone else because my time is too precious for me to go and do something for free essentially and you know and then end up like you know in front of an empty room you know and things like this you know it's just an example but it happened to me a couple of times you know so i'm very careful about you know what i say yes to because i put myself first you know i put myself first in the sense that you know am i going to suffer if i do this am i going to get anything out of this you know is it going to advance my business and if the answer is no i'm not doing it if people ask me to do stuff for free i'm not doing it I'm sorry, you know, my time is too valuable to me. And there's a lot of things you've done for free over the years. Yes, this I, is still, I still write my articles for free, but that's yeah. because I'm passionate about it. Yeah. And I do it, I do it, I do it voluntarily yeah. because I love being able to give these cafes exposure, you know, and they're really lovely people, you know. I mean, very often I go there and they're like, you don't have to pay for the coffee or something, you know, and I don't do it for that, but it's nice to have that relationship, you know, and I love that, but it's not, you know, I don't, want to do stuff you know that is going to put a lot of strain on me and then i'm just going to end up being burnt out you know? yeah sometimes like coming back to the it seems like a a reoccurring point but sometimes you need to learn that for yourself or any sort of whether it's entrepreneur or even creative needs to understand that and and learn why they're saying no to certain things so yes in my case i can relate perfectly uh with doing the photography right so a lot of the times people would offer me these events more than anything that, oh, you can come photograph this event. We're going to use all your photos, but it's great exposure. We don't have any budget. Uh, and in the end, sometimes they didn't even use the photos. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I gave you free photos and you're not even using them. Yeah. Therefore, I'm not. But even if they use them, usually, especially when it comes to events, mm -hmm. people don't really care about who's the photographer. They care about who's in the photo. Yes, of course. And so, yes. you know, you, you only learn that over, over time and, yeah. and maybe some, some other people giving you nice advice. Yeah. Um, Definitely. But, but coming back to like the saying no to things, maybe on the opposite side, saying yes to things in terms of your investment, it could be time, money, energy. What's the best thing? What, what was your best investment over the the journey of uh, the coffee vine, would you say? The best investment was in me. I, I invested myself, you know, and that comes from, you know, this sort of need that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I am my best asset, you know. The coffee vine could go bankrupt tomorrow, you know. I don't know, there could be another pandemic coming or, you know, a, a financial crash or I don't know what. But I know that I, I can go and start something new. You know, I can move somewhere else. I can you know, try something new if I want to, you know? And that's why over the last couple of years, especially, you know, I've invested in myself. I've done courses, you know, I've done, you know, I've, I've changed my lifestyle a little bit. Like for example, I, I, I started a f like full-time sobriety three years ago, um, which is an investment because it really has paid off so much. 
you know, I'm so much more focused and my, my clarity, you know, actually my word for the year is clarity. So this mm-hmm. is a great, great, um, great segue for that. But, you know, I, I want to work on my, on, on improving myself. You know, I, 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 you know, for instance, my relationship with my partner, you know, has, has really flourished in this last three years, in these last three years, because I'm not chasing sensations. You know, I'm not chasing like the next party. I'm not like, you know, I'm not conflicted because I didn't go to this birthday, you know, like I don't have FOMO, you know, and that is, that has been so, you know, life-changing for me because I know that I'm focusing on the things that give me joy. You know, I'm, t- I'm doing more sports, you know, I'm doing things that I like that give me a lot of energy. Like it's going to sound super boring, but I play golf, you know, um, and, and these are the things that, that give me time to pause so I can like reflect on what's going on in my life. And for instance, you know, one of the things I explained to you earlier is, you know, I'm, I have another br- business called Fresh Drip, which I, I built up over the last couple of years, uh, again, started it without much thought, just jumped into it, you know, started a brand out of the blue, uh, not really knowing if I really had a market for it, who was going to buy it, if the product was good. You know, I, I created a product I liked, but I didn't really do any research uh, to ask if people out there loved the product, you know? So, uh, you know, in all fairness, it is a very successful product, but it took me a long time to get there. Um, but you know, I'm trying to also free up some time, uh, you know, to focus more on myself. You can, know? can you, sorry to cut you off. I, I yeah. just wanted to describe what Fresh Drip is for those who, who might not have heard of the brand. Yeah. Fresh Drip is a, it's a single surf, uh, dripper, basically. It's like a, a, like a pour over dripper or like a drip bag. You know, they have different names for it. Yeah. It's basically like a, like a V60, you know, with coffee and travel dripper in your pocket. Yeah. Japanese style. Yes, exactly. I first oh, saw it in Japan when I was there at a roaster in Kyoto called Weekenders. I've also worked with them for Coffee Vine. I love those guys and I love the product. I thought this is ingenious. Why don't we have this in Europe, you know? And long story short, I created a brand. I found a producer. I launched the product with specialty coffee inside, which was not successful. Changed the product around many times. And nowadays it's, you know, the most successful commercial product I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I can just, it just runs itself, you know? But it's not something I'm passionate about. And coming back to this passion part, you know, this is something that I'm I'm now trying to, I'm trying to sell the brand, you know, to to focus on other things that I do, and yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm definitely investing in myself, you know, because I think at the end of the day, you can buy a lot of great stuff, you can have a lot of cool gadgets, but at the end of the day, you are your biggest asset, you know, invest in yourself. So, what has been the best purchase under 100 euros that you've made in the last year best purchase under 100 euros that's maybe it could have helped your personal coffee drinking or your approach as a professional or as you mentioned earlier investing in yourself Mm -hmm. but what can you do for under 100 euros under 100 euros wow i don't have a lot of uh not a lot of things under 100 years. No, I mean, in terms of coffee gear, I, I bought this, uh, the Next Level uh, coffee dripper, which I love. It is one of the best drippers ever because it combines a lot of things that I love. Uh, you know, it's almost like a like an AeroPress. It has this chamber. Um, it has a, you know, it has a perforated cap you put on top. It's like a mellow drip, you know. Um, you can, it has a valve, so you can do a, you know, a nice pre-infusion or you can do, you can even make, you know, cold brew if you want to, whatever. I think this is my favorite coffee maker that I purchased under 100 euros mm. that I use it every day. I love it so much. Next level. Yeah. 
It is fabulous. Where is it from? Um, I think it's. I think it was. It's from America. I, okay. I bought it from a Czech roaster because they're one of the few distributors in Europe that have have them, and they were sold out. Um, so I had to actually ask and beg, and almost on my knees, uh, ask uh, oh. Yaroslav to please find me one, and he did. So I got one. I love it. It's the best thing. What are some of the worst recommendations or common misconceptions do you think that you've encountered in our industry, in the coffee industry? Or maybe like something that a driven coffee lover might try to or should maybe start ignoring maybe these like myths of the industry. Um, so I, what I'm, one thing that I have a lot of trouble with is tasting notes. And I think I'm not the only person because, you know, coffee is super subjective. Um, the other day, so what I do every quarter is I have a lot of coffee bags that uh, are, you know, returned because people didn't pick up their box or because they gave a wrong address or whatever, or I have just extra stock also from cuppings, you know, so I do a quarterly garage sale, if you like, right. in, in my house. And I did the last one last week. And I'm not even kidding you. There were people queuing outside of like in the hall to get in. It was so busy. Um, but people often say to me like, oh, you know, I like this kind of coffee and I like this kind of coffee and I like chocolate notes and I like this and the other, you know, of course you can read the tasting notes on the bag, but they're not necessarily going to be what you taste in the cup, you know? And I had this conversation with a customer the other day who said to me that he didn't like one of the coffees that he got from my box. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, are there other people who feel the same way? And I was like, well, you know, it's so, so subjective, you know? I can say to you, this coffee tasted like strawberries and mango and whatever, but you're going to taste something completely different. And, and I know a lot of people struggle, especially during cuppings, to put any word to what they're tasting, you know? And I know there are a lot of people out there who have written about this and a lot of people who have talked about this. I mean, I know, for instance, you know, that there are some people out there who don't even use tasting notes anymore because they're just confusing. Um, like Willem Davis is one person that I remember very starkly saying to me, like, I hate tasting notes. I think they're rubbish, you know? And I think the problem for a lot of people, especially new people coming into specialty coffee is like, you know, trying to explain to them why coffee, this coffee is so much better, you know, why, why is it? It's not just the, the fact that it's expensive and luxurious and it looks beautiful in this packet, in these beautiful bags. And, you know, it comes from this producer, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you're trying to tell them it tastes better, you know? That it's objectively better. Yeah, it's even just a the, better cup of coffee. Even though the tastes may be subjective yes. between people. And I know, for instance, my mother, you know, who I've been trying to, you know, bring into the realm of special coffee, mm -hmm. she just doesn't like acidic coffees. She doesn't like them. Yeah. You know, and why should I be insisting to her that, you know, this coffee is better. It's this and this and this. When she's very happy drinking her, you know, regular supermarket kind of coffee, and I think that's one of the things, you know, that we, we as an industry, we struggle with is, you know, we're trying to make coffee look so fancy and so cool. And, you know, I mean, some of the packaging that I've seen is, is, is reminiscent of like a, like a jewelry, you know, like you get this box and then there's a box inside the box, you know, and this and that. It's like, wow, you know, but then you taste it and you're like, okay, and now what, you know? Well, sometimes I feel like people it could come to coffee tasting notes but also many other things if you tell them it will taste like a certain thing they expect I, that i feel like two things happen either 
it does taste like like that to them. Yes. Or they think it does. You've influenced them. Or yes. if it doesn't taste like that, they're more disappointed yes. than they would have been if they just tasted it I agree. on their own. I agree. Um, and that could apply to maybe many other industries too. Definitely. So I could see that as a as a struggle. I mean, one of the things that I do in my cuppings, for instance, because I, I do invite members of the public to join. And sometimes there are people who've never done a cupping before. So I just say to them, I don't even expect you to write down on your piece of paper what you're tasting. Just tell me if you like it or not. That's all. Mm. That's all I need to know, mm. you know? And sometimes that's all you need, you know, because I sometimes struggle, you know, I'm like tasting, 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 like my friends in Amsterdam are like, oh, I taste, you know, like banana and I taste this and I taste the other. I'm like, I don't get that, you know? And sometimes the coffees are so, like the flavors are so pronounced that you're like, yeah, I can definitely taste that, you know? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just a really good coffee, but you don't know what you're tasting. Um, so I think, you know, we just need to, we just need to maybe move a, a little bit away from that because I sometimes see tasting notes. I'm not even kidding. I don't even know what they mean. You know, I, I'm like, I've, I'm, I'm a well-traveled person who has eaten a lot of cool and strange things, but I sometimes see things on, on the tasting notes and I'm like, I don't think the average person knows what that is. So why are you trying to make it so convoluted? You know, there's also a lot of abstract tasting notes that very abstract that are not even a thing that you might taste. No. Yeah. Or even if you've tasted it once in your life, you don't recall the taste. And you're like, huh? Like, or it's something that you would never have in your daily life. So why do you put it there? You know? Yeah. Well, it's marketing a lot of the time. And definitely. Um, you know, it's, it, it is interesting, though, that you have these different options and these different opinions of, no, we don't necessarily need tasting notes. How do we replace that? Mm. Um, but yeah, that's that's a that's definitely a complex topic. Um, hopefully, we can have more discussions around it because definitely. people people do, especially entering, as you mentioned, entering the world of specialty coffee and trying to trying to navigate it. Um, yeah, it, it might be one of those things that people just need to explore and decide for themselves. Yeah, as well over time, definitely. Um, one question I wanted to ask, going back to you know. You were, you were talking about writing, you were talking about doing a lot of reading on, yeah. on different blogs and things like that. What would be one coffee book that you might recommend to an aspiring coffee printer or someone who specifically not just wants to get into brewing better coffee, but wants to find their way in the industry? What What's one book that you might, that stands out to you? It's not been written, I would say. Um, to be honest, I, I've always struggled with this because most of the books are very specific about certain topics, which are not necessarily accessible. Uh, there are books about origins, and obviously we can think of a, a couple of authors that are well known, um, but I don't think there is, in my opinion, a book that I would recommend to people, just because um, I find most of them are either written from the perspective of a roaster, and they're just promoting their own story, mm. you know, and their own relationships and their own way, way of making coffee, or they're very technical, like Scott Rao kind of stuff, you know, which is great. But for the average person getting into coffee, it's like, forget it, you know. And then you have a lot of other things, you know, out there, which, to be honest, are more like guides, you know, and things like this. Like, I don't, I don't think you need that, per se. There is a lot of knowledge out there in, I mean, you create amazing videos, you know, you, you, you've contributed a lot to, to helping people understand better, you know, how to make coffee, and you've also created a lot of very fun content you know i'm trying to to do the same with you know guiding people to the best places 
I think a lot of it you just learn by doing, you know, and by having conversations. Uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of telling people that you, you have these, this reading list, now go study, because you need to apply all of that knowledge. And again, you know, you can have a recipe, but the recipe does not necessarily work for every coffee that you buy. So you could buy a coffee and you could do like 16 grams, you know, like 320, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can do your standard recipe. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about tasting, experiencing, having conversations. I love going to cafes and chatting with baristas or with other coffee lovers and just sharing knowledge, you know, and that's how I learned. And I think that's the best way to do it. Um, if you really want to go into detail and you really want to learn like specifically about how to pull the best espresso shots or how to roast there's plenty of technical stuff out there that, you know, you can find very easily online. Mm -hmm. Speaking of creating content and, you know, fun videos or, or being able to communicate to a wider audience, if you were to have, let's say on, on the coffee, coffee vine, Instagram, mm -hmm. if you had a post that went viral and it went out to millions of people, you knew millions of people were, were going to see this, what would you like to communicate through that post? I think at the end of the day, you know, and we talked about this earlier, it's all about authenticity and that's always been the case, you know, and, and you can, you can really struggle to create all this content to be, you know, this amazing coffee content creator. Um, but what I think, and we talked about this earlier, is like, sometimes it's, it's difficult to, to figure out who is your audience, you know, who are you doing this for? Um, because the problem with these algorithms is that one day something is trending and the next day it's not trending, you know, and because people are like the, the trend is that people are engaging less and less with content unless it's very polarizing, you know? Yeah. Like if you are doing something outrageous, you know, then they will comment, you know, like just a stupid example, but the Grammys were last weekend and a lot of people said on Instagram that Lana was robbed because she didn't get a single Grammy, you know? And so every time this music website that I follow Pitchfork was posting who won a Grammy in which category, everyone, the people were saying, Lana was robbed, Lana Del Rey was robbed, she didn't get a Grammy, blah, 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 blah you know? But it wasn't like congratulating the winner, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? There were very few people who were like, oh, congratulations to Boy Genius or to Taylor Swift or whoever won a, a Grammy. And as I, that's what I'm getting more and more is that people, they see your content, they take, they acknowledge it, but you don't know that they saw it. You just know how many people viewed your content, but you don't get comments, you don't get likes, you know, a lot of things are not shared, you know, so you're like kind of tapping around in the darkness because you just don't know what people want to see. And I don't want to be out there constantly saying, hey guys, tell me what you like so I can make more content like that because that's something that's maybe hot today and forgotten tomorrow. You know, and if I think back at some of the stuff that I did, you know, where I think, okay, this would be fun if this went viral. It's probably stuff where people can get a looking, like, get like a looking glass into my life. You know, I remember one time when we just started the first lockdown during COVID, you know, my partner and I, we were on our balcony and we made the isolation brew, which was like a cold, like a flash brew, you know, iced coffee. And I thought it was hilarious. And people really love that that that's still one of my best viewed videos mm -hmm. you know because a it showed me and michael together uh we talked about something that was going on that everybody was dealing with but it was also informative and it was fun you know right but because i do a lot of stuff more around the coffees that i work with the roasters that i work with i'm sometimes like hmm you know how can i make this more you know i don't want to say viral because i think that's also overused right. you don't have to be viral every every time you post something but how can I reach more people authentically, you know? Yeah, it's almost like 
you would want to go viral for not being viral. Right. Exactly. Which yeah. is a nice paradox. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a way it is. And you sometimes look at certain creators and you think, wow, you know, they are huge. They have so many followers. People love their stuff. Um, but then you see, and you, we talked about this earlier as well. And like, sometimes you make something and you think you're really good at it. And the next time you post a video that is similar, people don't engage with it anymore. Yeah. You just don't know. You're at the whim of the, the are, algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. So speaking of something that you can have a little bit more control over, mm -hmm. how's your podcast? So I started my podcast last year. It was a, it was like a, I was like, I want to do a podcast. So I just put it together. Another one. I mean, another I, project, another project. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say again, poorly planned because I wanted to do it weekly, which I did in the beginning. And then I realized that, um, you know, for instance, if somebody canceled, which happened several times, I didn't have a replacement. I was, you know, I want, I had to publish on Friday. Sometimes I was traveling. So I had to like take all my gear with me in the beginning. I had a terrible microphone. Sometimes the connection was terrible. You know, sometimes I realized also that the people I was talking to were not interesting, you know, necessarily, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but it's different when you are in person talking to somebody and you have a great connection than if somebody has to respond to questions on camera, right? you know, it's a very different vibe, you know, and it was a huge strain on me. You know, I actually published an episode while I was here in Barcelona, which I had recorded okay. in my hotel room. <laughs> it's just like... I felt under so much pressure. I did, I, but hey, I got 10 episodes out. There was a lot of people who really liked the podcast. Uh, after 10 episodes, I was like, okay, that's season one done. I'm going to take a break. Yeah. I need to figure out if I want to do this. Um, so I'm still not decided if I want to continue. I have already recorded two episodes for the next season. Um, but again, it's a matter of, am I passionate about this? You know, I told you earlier, I love doing live things. It's just what I do, you know? I, I, my best friend and I, we do a comedy quiz, which is very successful. And we love doing that, you know? But I was also struggling coming up with ideas for our Instagram, which is not even 100 followers, you know? Because I'm, I, I love being in front of people. I love interacting with people, you know? And, and sometimes, like, I'm, I, I, I think that I'm overloading myself with too many things that I need to pro produce content for. Mm. I'd write blogs, I have a newsletter, I have the coffee vine box, I have this, I have the other, you know, I have so many things. I'm like, oh my God, you know, how much more can I do? So- You can only do too much. <laughs> I know, but this is again, you know, going back to what do you say no to? Sometimes you have to ax certain things. I haven't decided yet about the podcast because I do really love the conversations that I've had. Um, and I think it adds value, but yeah, I just, I just haven't decided yet, you know? So when, uh, if people listening want to go and listen back to some of your, at least season one, yeah, for maybe, sure. by the, maybe by the time they're listening, you'll have some episodes from season two out. Maybe. How can they find it? They can find it on Spotify, on Apple podcast, on Google podcast. It's, uh, called, I heard it on the coffee vine, which is basically a nice little segue to how I started the coffee vine and what the coffee vine name means. You know, it's, uh, it was like. A reference to the to the to this kind of saying i heard it on the grapevine that's how i started the coffee vine i was like oh you know i'm gonna talk about my favorite new cafes on the coffee vine you heard it on the coffee vine blah 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 blah. i always thought it would be neat if we could popularize that term the coffee vine outside <laughs> of the brand just kind of in the yeah it, it, coffee nerd speak i know because it, it's a it is a really perfect way to to describe you know some of the connections that i know People were saying to me, you know, like you should start the, the beer vine and then, the, you know, the, the wine vine. And I don't know what, 
but I, I'm like, there's only that much I can That's do. too much. <laughs> yeah. No, you're doing great with the Coffee Vine. So Thanks. people can find you. I heard it through the Coffee Vine yeah. podcast, Instagram. Yeah, the Coffee Vine. The Coffee Vine. Any yeah. other places that they should go find you? Uh, just check out the website, thecoffeevine.com, where you can find everything about the boxes and the articles that I've written. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for some cool projects coming this year, hopefully. Um, yeah. Still uh, working on that. But um, most of the time, I love connecting with people in real life. So if you see me coming to one of your town, like your town or if a city near you, please come down to my events. Um, I do cuppings, you know, get togethers. And also this year is the 10 year anniversary of the Coffee Vine. So I'm planning a big party in Amsterdam in the summer. More details will follow. I want to come. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope it's not uh, clashing with your other plans. Yes, exactly. But um, that, um, yeah, finding finding you in person occasionally that that would be a great way to, yeah. to connect. So keep keep in touch uh, with you, I guess, on on Instagram. Definitely. Follow along so that you can come to one of these cuppings. Yes, for sure. Right after this, we have to wrap this up because we have a cupping with Slow Move. Yeah. Today. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I do cuppings in Barcelona almost every time I'm here. I did one two years ago at Three Marks at the Roastery um, on the Primavera Sound weekend, which was quite funny because I couldn't get to the actual location because of all the barriers. It's, yeah, it's around the festival. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that was super fun. And then last year I did one with you at Nomad with your. Uh, no, Jordi wasn't there. Um, and uh, this time it's at Slow Mov, and uh, we're going to choose the coffees for my upcoming March edition. Uh, it's sold out, which I'm super excited at. Uh, and I'm looking forward to tasting some amazing coffees. Awesome. Yeah. Well, glad we could have you on the on the podcast, The Nomad Barista. Yes. Meets the coffee vine. Meets the coffee vine. And I just got to say, before we wrap up, wrap up, you do remember we did a clubhouse uh, during the pandemic, right? And back when that, uh, that was a thing. Clubhouse was a trend. Yeah. You know? So this is not the first time we've done something like this. It's, it's quite true. funny. It's true. But it goes to show, you know, like, don't follow the trends. Yeah. Follow authenticity. Yes. And just keep keep doing uh, keep doing what what motivates you, what brings people together. Yes. And I think in general, get out there. Get out there and do something you're passionate about because that's going to be your calling. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. And one last thing before you hit the road, please leave this podcast a rating and hit that follow button if you enjoyed it. That really helps us out here and to support this show further. Please check out our sponsors in the description with links also to the YouTube, Instagram, and Patreon. See you out there.